I thought it might be good to do a part of the introduction in Danish. So here goes. Jeg brugte Google Translate til at få dette gjort, fordi jeg ikke taler dansk. Så hvis der er et problem med det, der bliver sagt, så lad mig det vide, så kan vi give Google skylden for det. Okay. I denne episode lærer du alt om Museum of Danish America. Det er en national institution beliggende centralt i vores land. Igennem interviewet vil du høre det fantastiske arbejde. Museet udfører landet over for at bevare historien om den danske kultur og folk i vores land. Det er det, jeg elsker ved vores land. Danskerne er en del af vores nationsstruktur og en fortsat del af vores succes. Hvis du har dansk arv, vil du høre det engagement og det hårde arbejde. Som dette museum gør for at bevare din kulturarv. Hvis du ikke i øjeblikket er medlem og støtter, så tror jeg, når du lytter, at du vil opdage. At museet for Dansk Amerika helt sikkert fortjener din støtte og bidrag. Og nu tilbage til den engelske del af vores program. Jeg takker dig for at lytte og for at lære om denne Preservation Oak Institution. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to another episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to professionals from museums, cultural, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Good day, everyone. Thanks for being here. We have an excellent program for you. For this episode, we greet Ms. Tova Brandt, the Executive Director of the Museum of Danish America. We'll learn all about when and how the organization began, what the mission of the museum is, and other interesting topics. Whether you're an individual, family, business, or foundation, find out how you can help them fulfill their admirable mission. If you're a person of Danish descent anywhere in the world, this episode will help you understand what the Museum of Danish America has to offer, how you can participate and take advantage of the worthwhile events they sponsor, and how to best support them by volunteering and donating. I've been looking forward to this episode because the Museum of Danish America building is absolutely beautiful, and the organization does great work throughout the nation. The museum is architected in the Scandinavian style, which I personally like very much. The museum has a national mission, and the executive director travels all around the country to participate in various Danish and Scandinavian events, educational seminars, conferences, and lectures. We're lucky to have her on this episode. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe coming to you from Salt Lake City, and this is Preservation Oaks. 
the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio, where we feature information about museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical preservation, and genealogical societies across the United States. By the way, our main platform is preservationoaks.podbean.com, but you can find us on nearly all podcast platforms as well as TikTok, Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. So, wherever you listen to the program, I appreciate it very much when you like, comment, follow, or subscribe. If you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the program, or if you have questions or comments about the program, spin off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. I need to let listeners know that Paul Hackbarth, the Marketing and Communications Director of the Iowa Falls Historical Society, recently announced the release of the new Iowa Falls Historical Society website. It looks really great. It's beautiful. You can take a look at iowafallshistoricalsociety.com. On our next episode of Preservation Oaks, we'll take a deeper dive into genealogical research. We're meeting with Mr. Warren Watson, a researcher and archivist affiliated with the Museum of Danish America. Warren will speak on the topic of research techniques for the family historian. That should be fun and interesting, and I'm really looking forward to learning more about this and having Warren share his expertise to help as many fellow researchers as possible. All right, that being said, let's get this show snapping. Our historical June events for this episode. On June 1st, 1792, Kentucky became the 15th state to be admitted to the Union. Also on June 1st, 1796, Tennessee became the 16th state to be admitted to the Union. On June 2nd, 1924, Congress granted United States citizenship to people of American Indian descent. From our... Well, this one came out of nowhere file. We have this. You might think the U.S. had formal relations with China when President Nixon went there in the 1970s. Nope. On July 3, 1844, the Treaty of Wangia, also known as the Treaty of Peace, Amity, and Commerce between the United States of America and the Chinese Empire, was signed by the Chinese. It was then ratified by the U.S. Congress and signed by President Tyler on January 17, 1845. The Treaty of Wangia was formally in effect until the signing of the 1943 Sino-American Treaty for the relinquishment of extraterritorial rights in China. Under the terms of the Treaty of Wangia, the United States gained the right to trade in Chinese ports, as well as gaining additional legal rights inside China. The Treaty of Wangia was negotiated by Caleb Cushing, Cushing was sent by President Tyler to secure the same rights for the United States that the European nations had received from the Chinese. Cushing was successful gaining these same rights for the United States. Those rights included gaining extraterritoriality for the United States. This meant that only U.S. Council officials could try Americans for crimes committed in China. The Treaty of Wangia also set fixed tariffs in the ports and gave Americans the right to buy land for churches and hospitals. Lastly, the treaty also overturned a Chinese law that forbade foreigners from learning the Chinese language. Pretty cool. All right, on June 15, 1836, Arkansas became the 25th state to be admitted to the Union. On June 16, 1903, Ford Motor Company, an American multinational automobile manufacturer, was founded by Henry Ford. 
On June 20, 1863, West Virginia was admitted to the Union as the 35th state. On June 21, 1788, New Hampshire became the ninth state to be admitted to the Union. On June 27, 1788, Virginia was admitted to the Union as the 10th state. On June 28, 1971, happy birthday to Elon Musk, an American business magnate who assumed leadership of Tesla Incorporated and founded SpaceX. Hey, thank you to POPLAD.com for the historic June events. You know, it's always interesting meeting the incredible people who operate these great American organizations. It's such a pleasure to learn from and converse with these great people. Ms. Tova Brandt is a museum professional with experience in history, immigration, and material culture. She currently serves as executive director for the Museum of Danish America in Elkhorn, Iowa. Prior to that position, she was the museum's Albert Ravenholt Curator of Danish American Culture, responsible for exhibitions and programs. From 2001 to 2009, she was a curator for the Vesterheim Norwegian American Museum in Decorah, Iowa. She earned a bachelor's degree in history from Bern Moir College and a master's degree in early American culture from the University of Delaware's Winter Third Program. We're lucky to have her. Okay. Welcome to the program, Tova. Thank you, Sean. You know, the area is absolutely beautiful. Great towns, great homes, really nice. I hope you all understand there in Elkhorn how lucky you are to have this national Danish treasure of a museum. Tova, does the museum get a lot of people from other Scandinavian countries visiting or mostly Danes from Denmark? For our Scandinavian visitors, most of them are from Denmark. And they've actually learned about our museum and learned about Elkhorn and this area through programs on Danish television that have aired in prime time over the last several years. So Elkhorn has has had a outsized impact on on Danish television. So so the awareness is is pretty high in Denmark. Oh, that's really cool. Very mm-hmm. cool. I meant to ask you, do you have any affiliation with other institutions in Denmark? Not formal affiliations, but we have partnered with different museums and archives in Denmark. And several of our former interns who have worked with us from Denmark are now museum and archival professionals in Denmark. And so that growing network of peers certainly is a connection. Wow, that's pretty cool. The Museum of Danish America is located in the middle of our country in Elkhorn, Iowa, has a national mission and perspective. You and your team are doing so much public good across the country. From everything I read, you guys are traveling all over and doing presentations and participating in various programs. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. This museum was originally envisioned to be a national museum. We're not a, a local institution that has grown in scope. We, from the very beginning, were established to be the National Museum dedicated to preserving and sharing the story of Danish immigration to the United States, Danish-American experience and culture, and and the ongoing connection between Denmark and the United States and how these nations continue to influence one another. So from the very beginning, our outlook has been, how do we serve a national audience in a lot of different ways? How do we make sure that what we do and build and present, you know, on location at our home base in Elkhorn also has an impact for a a regional and national audience. So that's been part of our history from day one. 
Wow, fantastic. You have on your website what's called a virtual museum visit link. And mm -hmm. uh, I went and used that, and it, it actually takes you on like a 3D tour of the museum. And I want to tell you that museum is beautiful and really beautiful. I don't know who designed it, but it's very much in the Scandinavian design style. The design of the building, it was an American architecture firm who came up with the concept and the plans, but a firm that had a lot of Scandinavian roots within its own staff. And the design of the building was influenced by Danish vernacular farm architecture. So basically, our building is an oversized version of a rural Danish barn. Oh. Um, but, you know, we've never had to store hay in it. Thank goodness. <laughs> so but that but that interest in natural materials, timber framing, you know, how we sit on the landscape, all of that definitely shows an influence of Scandinavian design aesthetics and and values. That's very cool. It's a beautiful place. I encourage everyone across the country to go look at that. Go to your website, the Museum of Danish America, and look at the virtual museum visit link. Very mm -hmm. cool. I also know that the town itself, Alcorn, has a tourist attraction, which is a windmill. And I think the museum is not affiliated with it, but what can you tell us about this windmill? Correct. The Danish Windmill is an independent organization, and it's actually been in Elkhorn longer than our museum has. The Danish Windmill was originally built in Denmark in 1848. And if you fast forward a century to the mid-20th century here in Elkhorn, Elkhorn was settled predominantly by Danish immigrants. It had a very kind of Danish-American character for a long time. But by the 1960s and 70s, those immigrant generations were, were by and large dying out. And the community was really struggling with how to maintain the Danish character of the community. So one community member came up with this idea that what the town really needed was a windmill from Denmark, and they should move a windmill from Denmark. And enough community members said, eh, that's a pretty good idea that they reached out to some communities in Denmark and they actually found a abandoned kind of decrepit historic windmill wow. in a rural community called Norasneda and they bought it. They bought the windmill. They got some Danish kind of a local carpenter crew in Denmark to carefully deconstruct the pieces and to make a scale model of how all those timbers fit together. And on the scale model, each timber is numbered and so so that the community could reassemble it then when the pieces got to Elkhorn. And that's exactly what happened. The pieces were shipped across the ocean in around 1975-76. The community volunteered to come together, reconstruct this windmill, and uh, got it running and operating. And it's been operating ever since as an attraction kind of a, a historic site, but not in its original historic location. So it's, you know, it, it's a little, it's a little different in that sense. What's, what's interesting is that shortly after Elkhorn managed to, to do this, the nation of Denmark realized, wait a minute, we can't just let people buy our historic windmills. And so they passed a law to forbid the exporting of historic windmills. So, so Elkhorn is one of the few communities that actually can say, it has an authentic, historic Danish windmill on wow, site. That's pretty cool. 
listeners, go to your favorite map app and go to Elkhorn, Iowa, and go down the main street. You can see it. Uh, can people go to the top of that windmill, Tova? Pretty high to the top. Yes, the tours take you inside the historic structure. And so you get to walk the those the original kind of wooden stairs. It is it, it definitely does not meet um, modern accessibility standards. <laughs> you, right. You've got to kind of climb ladders almost to, to get to the upper levels. But you can see all of the original gearing. You can go out on the, the kind of walkway halfway up. And yeah, you can you really get a great sense of kind of how this mill operated in its day. And, and it has since been operable for, for demonstration purposes. Wow, that is cool. I've wondered what the history of the Museum of Danish America is. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I'm glad to. And it's a good time to do that because this year is our 40th anniversary. So it's fitting to to kind of follow the windmill story with the museum story. Because at about the same time the um, windmill was being moved to Elkhorn, other kind of people within the Danish-American communities, especially at the colleges founded by Danish immigrants, which were Dana College in Nebraska and Grandview College in Iowa, they were looking around um, and realizing that there was no museum institution or preservation institution to, to collect, preserve, and share the Danish story in America. Other Scandinavian groups had well-established museums that were in place to already collect, preserve, and interpret their their histories, but there wasn't a, a broad national Danish institution doing that work. So some different groups started looking at the feasibility of starting a national Danish history museum, and the first decision they had to make was, well, where should it be? As I said, this was all always envisioned from the first moment to be a national institution, and so it could have been placed anywhere in the country. And different communities were invited to kind of make their proposals, make their pitch. Why would they be a suitable match for hosting a new national Danish history and culture museum? The search committee was charged with making that decision. And the finalists were Elkhorn, Iowa and Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so just over 40 years ago, in February 1983, there was a town meeting in Elkhorn so that the community could make their case to the site committee. And it was a cold February day, sub-freezing weather, you know, and this is a town of about 650 people who live in the, in the town. Over 400 people showed up on a cold February night to right. this town meeting in the school gymnasium. And not only did the local community show up, but representatives from the Iowa Tourism Board and, in fact, the newly elected governor of Iowa, Harry Branstad, came out from Des Moines to be part of this meeting to make the case why Elkhorn would really be the place to, to host this national museum. And for Iowa, and why, why would the state of Iowa be behind this push for a, for a small town to host this museum? This was 1983, and Iowa was really starting to grapple with the farm crisis. And so the state of Iowa was really looking for ways to diversify the rural economy and saw heritage tourism as one way that might really bolster the economies of these small rural towns. 
So you had 400 people, you had the governor of Iowa, you had this site committee that was charged with with giving a fair hearing to to the the case that Elkhorn made. And at that meeting in front of all those people, the site committee said like, well, thanks, you've made a really good case, but, but we really need to give Minneapolis a chance as well. And the site committee went back to their hotel, met in the lobby and decided, you know, there's no way that Minneapolis is going to make a stronger case than Elkhorn just did. And so decided that night that the new Danish American museum would be placed in Elkhorn, Iowa. Nice. And so that that started it all. Now, that was that was basically our founding on paper. We weren't started as a private collection that grew there. They've started. It really was building a museum from scratch. They had to find a location. They had to start memberships. They had to raise money. They had to start collecting artifacts. All of these things really started from from zero and it so it took a while to to get going to get off the ground to literally break ground and then finally to have the building that we inhabit now open in 1994 11 years later so that's the history that's how we got to where we are and why we're located where we are i like the fact that you're located right there in the middle of the country and you, you can go anywhere and you do quite often go to other states and attend events and give presentations and education events. I'd like to provide the listeners with the contact information for the Museum of Danish America since they've heard so much about it. You can visit their website at danishmuseum.org. Facebook is Museum of Danish America. They're on YouTube at Danish Museum. Mailing address is 2212 Washington Street, Elkhorn, Iowa, 51531. For general correspondence email, you can email them at info at danishmuseum.org and you can call them at 712-764-7001. Does that all sound correct? Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that, Sean. You're welcome. Can you provide the audience with some information about the variety of your membership and the mission and objectives of your museum? Certainly. We are supported by members in nearly every state and several international countries, including Denmark. Sometimes, depending on on whose membership is active, we can claim all 50 states. But right now, if there are any listeners in Vermont or Louisiana who are inspired to become a member, that would really fill that gap in our membership roles. But we do have a variety of levels of memberships, starting at $40 for for basic access to our magazine and uh, admission and discounts on shopping and programs, all the way up to the director's circle level at $1,000 a year. All of those memberships support our, our mission. And our mission statement is just one sentence long. It reads, the Museum of Danish America explores the Danish American experience, the historic and modern influences of Denmark on the United States, and the continuing story of how a nation of immigrants shape American identity. And so our mission is, you know, can can be seen as very broad. Anything related to Danish immigration, Danish American experience, Danish culture in America, there's there's a lot to work with there. And so we have a lot of, of options and opportunities for programs and exhibitions and articles and, and the content that we can research and share um, with our audience. But 
our mission statement also calls us to to think about the relevance of those stories and how how does understanding the the Danish aspect of American experience relate to the larger story of of American identity and experience? So we have a foot in in both the the niche Danish story, but always keeping in mind, you know, that that story relates to the larger American experience as well. Thank you for that very much. I've read your bio and introduced you with your bio, a short biography of you. But can you tell the audience a little bit more about your background, how you came to do what you do now? Sure. Yeah. I grew up as a self-described history nerd, loved history, majored in history in college, and was thinking about kind of what are what are the options for someone who loves history to pursue a, a career. And to to my mind, as a young college student, there were really only two paths. One would have been probably a high school teacher. And I explored that briefly before deciding that did not <laughs> did not quite fit fit my interests. And and the other path I explored was museum work. And so through summer internships in my hometown of Minneapolis and and opportunities to to kind of learn more about the museum field, learn more about what happens behind the scenes in a museum, I I did kind of confirm with for myself that that was that was a professional path that I that I wanted to follow. And so I I pursued graduate studies with that in mind and uh, I received a master's degree in in what's basically material culture studies from the University of Delaware and their Winterthur program. And from that, kind of was educated with the tools to to interpret objects, you know, the material world around us. How do we look at a, at a thing, whether from the past or the present, and and try to put it in context of the the culture in which it was made and used. And so that that skill set can be theoretically applied to you know a, a wide variety of types of museums. It it so happened that shortly after I graduated from graduate school, I learned of the opportunity to apply for a curator position at Vesterheim Norwegian American Museum, which is located in Northeast Iowa in a town I was familiar with because it was my mother's hometown, and that's where my grandparents lived. So I I had some familiarity with the Vesterheim Museum. I had some familiarity with the town of Decora and sent in my application, even though I had never studied Scandinavian studies or culture or language. But the the background and experience in just figuring out how to uh, appreciate and interpret the craftsmanship, especially pre-industrial craftsmanship, was was very helpful in dealing with a collection of Norwegian immigrant pieces, a lot of Norwegian folk art. And it was through that position that I really started learning the the more historical details of immigration from Scandinavia to the United States and how how those cultures arrived, evolved, changed, and reacted to the to the larger world around them. And so, so I, I first really, really became immersed in working with Scandinavian American culture through my job at Vesterheim Museum. And then after several years, I took a similar position here at the Museum of Danish America to be the curator of exhibitions. Often in museums, a curator has a dual role in both caring for the collections as well as then interpreting the collections and sharing them through 
research exhibition or, or writing. At the Museum of Danish America, those curatorial roles had been split into two distinct positions. And so when I started here, there was a registrar and curator of collections who was one staff person, and then there was an opening for a full-time curator of exhibitions. And if I had to choose what kind of curatorial role I, I really gravitated to, I, it, it's exhibitions. And so telling those stories, you know, finding out what's interesting to me and, and making it interesting to other people, making the selections of how do we, how do we illustrate these narratives, these ideas through objects and images and text. That's something that I've, I've always enjoyed. And so for 10 years here at this museum, I was curator of exhibitions. And then when a change in administration came, our, our director at the time stepped down from the position. I served as interim director for what turned out to be almost an entire year while we were going through a search and thought we had another candidate. But when that candidate withdrew, I stepped up and said, okay, I've been doing this as interim director for a year. I would like to be considered for the, the full-time job as executive director. And that's been my role since early 2020. Oh, that's great. Great story. You well deserve the position in my view, and the museum is absolutely beautiful. Thank you very much. I want to say congratulations on your 40th anniversary for the museum. And I'm curious as to what's coming up next for the museum in 2023. Well, this this whole year of 2023 is is an opportunity for us to really celebrate this milestone. And simultaneously, by celebrating that, we are also fully emerging from some of the restrictions that we've experienced during the last two or three years because of the pandemics. So it, this, these ambitious plans for outreach and national events and, and a lot of travel, they, they really serve a dual role for us this year. It allows us to reconnect with Danish-American communities and members across the country, and it allows us to fully return to, to our, our national scope as the museum, as we are called to be. So, so 2023 has been a very full calendar one of the things we're really excited about is hosting a conference here on site for the first time in um, late June in collaboration with the Danish American Heritage Society. We are hosting here a, a conference, a three-day conference called Ecologies and Ethnicity, which is ex going to be explored different perspectives on the landscape, the human impact on the landscape, and, and how Danish culture, Danish American culture interact with the natural world around us. So we have a wide range of speakers, a wide range of topics, everything from urban bicycle planning in Copenhagen to the influences of a Danish immigrant uh, conservationist and landscape architect named Jens Jensen to contemporary efforts for rewilding and ecological restoration. So it's the first time that the museum has hosted a multi-day conference on site it's a stretch for a town of 650 people to welcome, you know, over over 100, maybe 200 people for for multiple days. Wow. Um, but it it will be a really wonderful way to mark all that we've achieved and and look forward to the to the kinds of themes and explorations that we want to continue to explore. Wow, that's pretty cool. Now, I was wondering if you have any funny or interesting stories from your museum's history. Well, there's you know 
there are always funny stories and anytime there are people because people can be pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think for me, one of the one of the stories that I I really enjoy thinking about it kind of the both the impact of our museum and and also some of the some of the funny assumptions that people bring to to the Danish immigrant history. Several years ago, we had a special exhibition about the the border region between Denmark and Germany. And over over the centuries, the the actual border has changed several times, changed hands between Germany and Denmark. And and so it's a complicated history. And so we tried to really tackle this and explain it in an exhibition. And one of our museum members came and was spending time in the exhibit and later said, you know, my great grandfather immigrated from from Denmark, but, you know, not Denmark, but this but this border region. And he came as a as a 15 year old all by himself. And we never knew why. And we kind of always thought that maybe he was getting in trouble with the neighbor girl. I mean, no one ever knew. And from this exhibit, he finally understood that the time in which his great-grandfather came was a time in which Germany had taken control of that region. And young men, young teenagers, were now conscripted into the Kaiser's army. And his parents didn't want him to serve in the Kaiser's army. So they bundled up their 15-year-old boy and sent him to America all by himself. And, you know, it's it's not a it's not a ha ha funny story. But but I think, you know, how easily these these stories and these historical factors can get lost and forgotten and how serendipitous sometimes it is that that the museum is here to answer questions that maybe you never even knew for sure you were asking. So so it's it, it's kind of one of my favorite impact stories of ways in which a museum can matter. Absolutely. And it's not a ha-ha story, but it's very interesting, and I'm glad the museum is there to keep that history alive. Tova, it's time for our first break for a few minutes. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages. experience modern Scandinavian architecture and exhibits, a comfortable environment for visitors, and the history of the Danish in America, all in a single day. At the Museum of Danish America in Elkhorn, Iowa. You'll find a wide range of wonderful exhibits and information at the Museum of Danish America. The museum and their website are nothing short of spectacular. They put a lot of love, expertise, and hard work into the museum and the services offered to the public. They also serve the public with their genealogy and education center. The Museum of Danish America brings together people from across the nation who are interested in Danish history and genealogy. They conduct educational events, seminars, and workshops all across the United States. Learn more about their hours, admissions, membership, and volunteer opportunities by visiting danishmuseum.org. You'll be glad you did. 
It's time for Preservation Oaks Book Shorts. Book Shorts is a segment of the program where we quickly introduce listeners to authors and books which satisfy your love of history and genealogy, help you with your own research, and finally help you improve the depth and wisdom of your unique family story. Hey, welcome to Book Shorts. We have a great segment today. There's a genealogist slash author slash speaker slash educator by the name of Chris Payton, who is a prolific author and is writing books to help family historians attempting to trace their ancestors in Scotland and Ireland. These books will help you understand what records are available, where they are, how to gain access to them, and how they can help you with your research. Wow! And has he done a great job. Instead of paying buku dollars and getting nowhere, you can take the bull by the horns and focus on getting the information yourself, in your own good time. Or you can engage with Chris, who's a member of the Association of Professional Genealogists at Scotland's Greatest Story Research Service, located on the web at www.scotlandsgreateststory.co.uk. All right? He's written some fantastic books. Now, Chris is originally from Carrickfergus on the outskirts of Belfast as well as contributing to many of the UK's best-known family history magazines. He also writes for his own Scottish Genes news blog at www.scottishgenes.blogspot.com and regularly gives talks to family history societies across the UK and worldwide. Some of the titles Chris has published are Sharing Your Family History Online, Tracing Your Belfast Ancestors, Tracing Your Family History on the Internet, Tracing Your Irish Ancestors Through Land Records, Tracing Your Irish Family History on the Internet, Tracing Your Scottish Ancestry Through Church and State Records, Tracing Your Scottish Family History on the Internet. His newest book is Tracing Your Belfast Ancestors, A Guide for Family Historians. Family historians can uncover the stories of their ancestors and delve into the rich history of the places they live. These books are a must-have resource for anyone looking to explore their family history in Scotland and Ireland. The books will help you to learn how to perform comprehensive genealogical research and to piece together your Scottish or Irish family history. From understanding the country's history to expert advice and inspiration, using genealogy techniques and tricks. Chris, welcome to Book Shorts. Thanks very much for having me, yeah. First of all, I'd like to say how awesome it is that you've authored a quintessential suite of books to help the family historian make progress on their research in Scotland and Ireland. Thank you so much for these books. You're very welcome. I hope they can help anybody that, that uses them, you know. What motivated you to write the books? I've been working as a genealogist in Scotland since 2006, and I've picked up a lot of sort of skills over the years. And I used to work in television many years ago. And when I worked in TV, the programs I worked in, it was with a desire to try and share knowledge about things. And having done the same within genealogy, I wanted to share the sort of the things that I've learned within my family history career with other people. Who, who may have problems within their own sort of ancestral pursuits. Fantastic. Well, thank you for doing it. Can you give us an overview of the books? Yeah, well, the, the series of books that have published by Pen and Sword, they fall into sort of two categories. One is the, the books that tell you how to do family history 
online. I started actually by writing a book called Tracing Your Family History on the Internet, which was all about UK genealogy. So that was England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. But because I specialise within Irish and Scottish genealogy, I've also produced books that are more specific to Scotland and to Ireland, the island of Ireland, um, including the Republic and Northern Ireland. And so that's the, the one side of the books is telling people how to do things online. So from the States or from down under or within Scotland and Ireland itself. The other books I've written tend to be more sort of detailed books about the actual processes of the, the, the records as they were created and where to find the records that aren't online within archives and within libraries. So that would be things like books on Irish land records, for example, or using Scottish records that were generated by the church and the state. Some of those records may be online, but a lot of them are actually locked away in the archives. And it, and it tells you how to, to access that content that isn't quite so available online. Thank you. How can your books help the family historian make progress in finding ancestors? I think the books are useful, I would hope they would be useful, in showing people how to, to go beyond the brick walls that they may encounter within their research. And, and people come across brick walls all the time in research, and it's usually because they don't know the record that will help them to resolve the particular problem. So these books kind of explain the, the genealogical landscape they explain the processes, why the records were created, where they were stored, whether they survived or, or whether they were destroyed or, or, or whatever, you know, what's, what's happened to them. And it's, it's a way of trying to, to give you a, a more rounded experience in terms of doing your genealogical research so that you're not just relying on one website and one database. There's a lot of stuff out there, and, and I hope they try to open up the world that people are trying to explore within. Yeah, that knowledge is just so vital for someone, for instance, in the United States, trying to understand how to research or how to find their ancestor in Ireland or Scotland. Fantastic. Where's the best place for somebody to get a copy of one of your books? The publisher, Pen and Sword, is actually based in the UK, but a few months ago, they've actually set up a US-based distribution site. So you can actually access them now within the United States at a much cheaper postage rate, and basically obtaining them locally. So that website is www.penandswordbooks.com, and just type in my name, uh, my surname, Peyton, into the search box, and they'll all pop up, and, and you should be able to order them from there. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Chris, for being a guest on Book Shorts, and I'd like to thank you for your time and for your books. You can be extremely proud of the work you've completed to help family historians. You come back anytime. Okay, thanks very much, Sean. Speak again. Bye-bye. Listeners, get your very own copy of any of these books at the Pen and Sword website at www.penandswordbooks.com and type in the search term Payton, P-A-T-O-N. You can also find these books reasonably priced on Amazon.com. Be sure you visit Chris's website at scotlandsgreateststory.wordpress.com. If you have questions or comments, please send them to preservationoaks at gmail.com. I thank you in advance for doing that. Much appreciated. Okay, we'll see you all on the next Book Shorts. And until then, keep on giving and keep on living the good life. <laughs> Oh,
back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we're here today with Executive Director Tova Brandt from the Museum of Danish America, located in Elkhorn, Iowa. Just a reminder that the Museum of Danish America is celebrating their 40th anniversary this year, so it's a perfect time to join, volunteer, and get all the benefits of membership. Let's pick up where we left off, and welcome back, Tova. Thank you, Sean. Glad to be back. What kinds of exhibits are on display at the museum? We rotate through different changing galleries. And so there's there's usually something always new on display. And because anything related to Denmark or Danish immigration or Danish America is, is fair game, it means that we can do art exhibitions, we can do history exhibitions, we can do culture, we can do historical, we can do contemporary and so that range of options gives us a lot of leeway to plan out a nice kind of variety of, of exhibitions. We have some core exhibitions that are in place that kind of provide that baseline introduction to Danish American stories. Who is Danish America? It's not all black and white photos of 19th century immigrant families, and it's not all wooden trunks carried on steamships that we have a, a far more variety than that. And, and we have a timeline that is titled 10,000 Years and 90 Feet, just a 10,000 years of Danish history and Danish-American history. But what makes an impact on most visitors is our visual storage area. In the lower level, one of our storage areas for smaller artifacts is stored behind glass walls so that visitors can see the things on the shelves, everything from shoes to teacups to spoons. And that's a way that we can really, again, share the wide variety and diversity of objects in our care. And one of our 2023 projects right now is reorganizing and doing some remodeling of that space so that visitors this summer will be able to not only see all of those objects on the shelves, but also understand that in this section and in a particular section are objects that were carried with immigrants when they arrived in this country. And in another section, what is the Danish-American stories, things that were made and used in this country? And in a third section, what are the examples of Danish art, design, and innovation that have really made an impact and continue to influence American cultures? So I think that and the improved version of our visual storage area is, is going to continue to be a visitor favorite. Our rotating galleries, as I mentioned, they change every six months to a year. And so I encourage everyone to, to visit the website to see what's on view at any given time. Fantastic. I was completely awed when I went on the virtual tour and I saw the visual storage area with the glass and the shelves and all of the artifacts. I think that's a very cool place. It's, it's really fun. And, and there are also some flat file drawers that visitors can open to really explore teeny tiny objects like jewelry or hat pins or things like that. 
So that sense of discovery is is really fun. I read also you have traveling exhibits. What can you tell us about those? Yes, a lot of the exhibits that we develop here, we then send either kind of as gallery exhibits to other museums or in banner forms. We share a lot of our exhibits with peer institutions across the country. And and a lot of the reasoning behind that is back to the fact that we are a national museum located in rural Iowa. And so we know that the whole country isn't going to come to us, but we can reach out to a national audience through our traveling exhibitions. So, for example, one that is still traveling and this summer is on view in Minneapolis is an exhibit about new Nordic cuisine, which is a food movement of the 21st century, you know, throughout the Nordic region. But we've been able to share that with Nordic American uh, museums across the country, from Philadelphia at the American Swedish Historical Museum to Nordia House in Portland, Oregon, as I mentioned, to Norway House in Minneapolis and the Westerheim Museum in Decorah. So we're we're able to tell stories that that relate to our Danish mission, but but might also have a broader relevance to a Scandinavian or a Nordic audience. So that's the kind of of large traveling exhibit that we've generated and and shared nationally. Similarly, we've had exhibitions about Danish modern design, exhibitions about the cultural history of beer and aquavit in Scandinavia. (laughs) So, So those are some of the larger projects. But we also have smaller traveling displays that are generally pop up banners that can be shipped by UPS, really low tech, you know, low cost. And those are traveling versions of our gallery exhibitions that can address anything from weddings in Danish America is a recent one. One that's about to go to press is about bicycle culture in Denmark and Danish America. Oh, yeah. You know, we have one about hygge, the Danish concept of contentment and coziness. So a whole menu of traveling displays that are suitable for libraries, schools, cultural organizations, festivals that can really go out and represent us in a variety of places. Wow, that's really cool. If you're building or to catch fire, what things would you grab on your way out? (laughs) Well, Victor Borges' piano is too big to grab on the way out, so I wouldn't try to do that, although it is pretty special. One of my personal favorite artifacts is uh, the oldest Bible in the collection. And in fact, it's one of the oldest Bibles in Denmark. It was published in 1633. It's called the Christian IV Bible. It was one of the first kind of major state-sponsored efforts to print the Bible in the Danish vernacular. Mm. So if you've heard of the King James Bible in English, this is the Danish equivalent. And it was a project actually inspired by the King James Bible and done in a similar time frame. I love old books. And so this definitely qualifies as old book. And it's huge. It's massive. It's about, you know, five inches thick and, you know, 14 inches tall and 12 inches wide. And it's got these huge leather bindings on the cover. And the front pieces are these gorgeously detailed engravings. So the artistry of this Bible is just really stunning. And There's a mystery to it, too. I mean, there's not that many copies of the Christian IV Bible still in existence. Scholars have estimated maybe 200 are known to still exist. 
this one somehow made it to the United States and at some point was given to Dana College and was part of the Dana College Library Collection. And Dana College actually closed in the year 2010. So when Dana College closed, our museum was given permission to identify the most culturally important pieces in their art and library collections. And we acquired those from the, the receivers. There's a mystery of like, how did this how did this Bible come here? Who decided to make room in their immigrant luggage for this massive, massive yeah. book? So I love it both for, you know, from the material culture standpoint, I love it as a bibliophile, and I love it for the mystery too, that so many people over time have considered this particular book important enough to, to save and to preserve and to hand on to the next generation. And that's pretty cool. That totally blows me away. Yeah, it's 390 years old. And people can see it in the museum. Well, we keep it in a box for light protection. But yes, it's here in the museum. And we haven't mentioned this yet. We have an online collections database that anyone can access through our website. And so you can search our database for whatever type of object you might be looking for and usually see a few pictures of that object oh, and learn cool. a little bit about its history. So that's a really fun way to to browse the museum's holdings. And, you know, everyone can decide for themselves if the building were on fire, what would they grab? What do they think is the most important or interesting? Hey, what kind of funding model supports the museum and what are your funding goals this year? We are an independent nonprofit, 501c3. And so we are predominantly funded by individual gifts, individual donations every year. That is our largest source of funding. We do have some earned income from our design store, from admissions, from program fees. We do have an endowment that supplies part of our operating costs. But the largest part of our funding pie is individual contributions and membership. We do not get funding support from Denmark. We do not get regular appropriations from the state of Iowa. We apply for grants that are either state-funded or federally funded or from foundations and other agencies. But the importance of individual donors is the, is the largest source of support. Mm, very cool. And what are your goals this year for funding? Well, this year, we always have the goal every year of let's make sure we pay all the bills. And that's that's yeah, goal number one. But we do also have some special funding projects for our 40th anniversary. And one of them is to grow that endowment so that it can take on more of that operating support. One of them is supporting the improvement for visual storage and especially our new ability to highlight our ceramics and decorative arts collections. One of the goals is to also support the ongoing work in our grounds, which are the Jens Jensen Prairie Landscape Park. And then the final goal is the financial support for our outreach events that are taking place around the country. So those are all special projects for, for this year in particular. Cool. Now, you were telling me earlier when we chatted that people can actually buy a brick and get their name on it for the front walkway of the museum. 
That's right. Yeah. The engraved bricks are placed around our flag plaza. We fly three flags, the flag of the United States, Denmark, and the state of Iowa. And surrounding that are engraved papers that can commemorate anybody, anything, any event, any group. And so it's it's really fun to see the variety of names and situations that are honored in that way. We also have a Danish immigrant wall of honor, which is a place inside the museum where the actual immigrant generation, you know, who is your immigrant ancestor from Denmark, those names can be engraved on a plaque along with their year of immigration and the community in which they settled. So that's a, a growing tribute to the immigrant generations of, of any time period because that also then allows us to collect information about more immigrant stories that adds to our resources for genealogy and family history research. Very cool. How much is a brick? It depends on the size. Bricks are either $250 or $500. That's very cool. And you have room for people. So if they want to get a brick, they can get one. Yeah, exactly. We do have room. In fact, we just started expanding capacity on the the pathways in and out of the flag plaza. So we'll we'll keep making room. Never never fear. Okay. That's pretty cool that I could go around and read on the outside all of the things that are important to people to not only support the museum but to honor whatever events in their lives or people in their lives that they want to. Does the museum sponsor or attend any annual festivals or events? We certainly participate in the annual festivals here in Elkhorn, the biggest of which are Tivoli Fest, which is every Memorial Day weekend, and Yule Fest, which is the kickoff to the Christmas season, which takes place the Friday and Saturday after Thanksgiving. So those are our local festivals that involve the entire community. We also, at the museum, we celebrate Danish-style midsummer, which is called Sanktansaften. And that usually is around June 24th. Well, this year it's June 24th. It's always on a Saturday when we celebrate it. And that's celebrated with a kind of picnic, outdoor activities, live music, and a bonfire at sunset. So that's a very Danish traditional thing. We do also often have a table or, or a booth at other festivals around the country. Some we're at every year, some we're at every other year. But there are very active festivals in the Chicago area, in Minneapolis, in eastern Iowa. And so there's a lot of opportunities for us to participate in other people's events as well. Yeah, very cool. I know that people can visit a link on your website called events or calendar mm -hmm. and see all of them. And many of them are in other states. Yes, yes. We, we really do travel a lot. And the, the best way to keep up with where we're at and what's coming up is to subscribe to our e-newsletter, which goes out at the beginning of every month and always has kind of the latest information on upcoming events that may be near you, wherever you are. This episode is going to release on June the 5th. I know you've had some events in May that have been successful. You had the Victor Borgia Legacy Awards and mm -hmm. something called Spark which I'm not sure I completely understand, and a brown bag lunch program. How did all those go? They, they, all, they all went great. <laughs> and, and a lot of them are monthly programs or annual programs. And so if listeners are interested in maybe the next opportunity for some of these programs, 
they will come around again. The Victor Borga Legacy Award is inspired by the fact that we have Victor Borga's first piano. And for those who who remember Victor Borga or remember his PBS specials, he was the classical piano player who would frequently fall off his piano bench. He was basically a, a classical music comedian. Well, in his honor and his memory, the museum hosts a regional piano contest for high school students, and the best performances are selected in their regions, and those winners then come to the museum on the recital day and perform on Victor Borges piano. Mm -hmm. And it's always just inspiring to, to hear what these teenage musicians are able to do and share with us. So that's a really wonderful program. The Brown Bag Lunch Series is a, a monthly program that that we frequently will video record and then make available on our YouTube channel. And so there's a wide variety of topics. But if you go to the YouTube channel of Danish Museum, you can see and view a lot of what we've done in the past um, and we'll continue to post new programs into the future. And the Spark program is brand new for our museum, although we are not the first to, to be part of the SPARC program. This is a specific on-site program for, for visitors who are in early stage memory loss and their care partners. Mm. And so it's an opportunity to have a, a immersive, um, engaging, stimulating, multi-sensory experience, get out of the house, get together and socialize with people who you know, who have similar experiences and just have a have a positive outing. So this is a, a new program for us. We'll be offering it every month going forward. And we're really pleased to be able to expand our offerings to this part of our community too. Well, you guys are doing so much all across the country. It's amazing. We've got a very full calendar. <laughs> you briefly mentioned membership and the membership levels. What's the member benefits? What benefits do I get if I become a member? All members get you know, free admission, 10% discount on purchases in, in our store, discounts on other services, for example, genealogy research or discounted tickets for special events, either on-site or around the country. All members receive our magazine that's printed twice a year. And we also mail a, a design store catalog just before the holiday season. So those are our basic membership benefits for anyone starting at the $40 level. At higher levels of membership, there's additional benefits, including participation in a reciprocal membership agreement through NARM, which is the North America Reciprocal Museum Program. Over 1,200 museums in North America participate in this program which means that your museum membership card, if it has the NARM circle, will get you usually admission benefits and sometimes other member benefits at other participating museums. Oh, so cool. so that's a new benefit that, that we're really excited about. And that's, that's pretty cool. And so all the way up to our director circle members who are invited to a special event every year for those particular members. So we actually have many museum members who have never visited the museum in Elkhorn in person, but they support our mission, they support what we're doing, and they are able to participate and keep in touch with the museum through our magazine, through our online content, and through shopping, either by phone or, or online. 
And so you don't have to be nearby Elkhorn to still enjoy the benefits of membership. Very cool. Especially that reciprocal benefit. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Regarding your events, do you make video or audio recordings of the events available on your website? Usually if the event is more social in nature, then, then we don't. But if an event is more organized around a presentation or a performance, then sometimes we will. It really depends on each individual event and what's appropriate. Okay. Makes sense. Now you have events coming up in June as well, right? That's right. June is going to be a busy month. As I mentioned, we're hosting this three-day conference in June. The final day of that conference is also our Sanktansaften, the Danish Midsummer Celebration. And so we decided to put in our big 40th anniversary tent dinner celebration on that mm. same day. So that'll be a busy few days right there. Simultaneously, we are running our first ever youth theater camp here at the museum where they will be learning and rehearsing and then performing a version of Hans Christian Andersen's Ugly Duckly story as part of that 40th anniversary celebration. Very cool. Lots going on in June. Lots in June. Yep. Wow. That's really nice. What other kinds of outreach and education does the museum sponsor? Well, one of the kind of exciting new things at the museum in this past year and then growing into the near future is our growth in our education staff. We've always welcomed school visits. We've always done outreach programs. But until a year ago, we never had a staff person dedicated to coordinating and promoting those educational opportunities and programs. We now have a youth and community educator on staff. And it's been really wonderful to see what is possible <laughs> when, you know, when there's someone whose primary job it is to develop opportunities, develop new programs. And so the outreach to our area school systems, the development of on-site programs is growing and new. For example, we had in our collection a historic printing press, and it had been used locally to print the Elkhorn community newspaper. And so it was donated to our collection and was just sitting there well, it turns out that the spouse of our youth and community educator has a full-time job at a letterpress in Des Moines running one of these presses. Oh. And so, so he was able to help the museum, you know, identify any repairs, missing pieces, get the thing running, get it oiled and working properly. And he's been doing some workshops and demonstrations with this letterpress. You know, so we now have a, a functioning, really neat machine <laughs> that can be used, can be watched, and that craft can be taught and explained. So all of these things that can grow out of, you know, putting resources, having people in place that, and, and having the opportunity to, to follow ideas where they lead, that's, that's been really exciting. So the youth and community educator does a lot of work with school children, right? Yes. School groups have always visited the museum to, to some degree, and we've always figured out how to adapt their needs to, to our staff capacity, and, and they always have a good experience. But to have a, a consistent point of contact, to have someone who can really build relationships with the teachers and the school districts over time, and also 
with that larger view of of involving the community too, for the first time, some of our school groups, if they really want to spend like most of a day in Elkhorn, well, our our educator has reached out to the local bakery, which specializes in a Danish pastry called Kringle. And so sometimes if the school groups have time, they will take turns visiting the bakery and watching them make Kringle. And then, of course, they get to sample it. And so just being able to bring in other parts of the community and introduce kids to other aspects of Danish culture, it's, it's been really, really wonderful to see. Yeah, very rewarding. That's very cool. What other parts of the museum campus does the museum manage? We have two other buildings that are outside of our kind of 35-acre core, core campus. One of them is a historic house built in 1908 that's called Bestemore's House. And Bestemore is the Danish word for grandmother. And so it's basically grandmother's house. And it's been restored to the furnishings and style of, of how it might have been in 1908, where when a Danish grandmother might have lived there. So, so that's a historic house. It's literally a, a walk back in time that you can walk through the rooms and and kind of get a sense of that time period in action in the town of Elkhorn. The other building that's a little off campus is our Genealogy and Education Center, which is where all of our research resources are located for people who either want to do their own family history research themselves to fill in their, their family genealogy, or if they want to seek assistance from our staff and volunteers in solving some of those genealogy mysteries. So we have a wide range of resources, some of which are digital and kind of connected to the global databases that can help with that research. And some of them are very unique, you know, paper files that have been accumulated over decades of resources of how to connect Danish immigrants and their descendants and their ancestors and their communities and their neighbors. And so we have some really wonderful resources there. But because it's the Genealogy and Education Center, that is also where some of the, our hands-on artifacts are located. So for example, that letterpress that I mentioned, that's now been located in the Genealogy and Education Center. Mm. So it's there in an environment where it can be used and displayed a little more prominently on Main Street and catch the attention of, of people walking up and down the town, the town Main Street. Yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. What kinds of records or historical artifacts has the museum received as donations from the public? Almost everything we have has been a donation. A few things have been purchased, but almost everything has been a donation. And that numbers uh, over 30,000 items. So everything from historical artifacts to artworks to archival materials, photographs, Almost everything has come as donations from individuals or families looking to keep and save and see some of their legacy preserved. So those are the pieces that are then cataloged into our database, and that database is is what can be accessed through our website and searched online. Do you have any strategy for digitization of documents and photos? We do have parts of the collection that we're looking to more comprehensively digitize. One of them is a project that we're we're currently seeking support for, and that is the 
National Danish Sisterhood Archive, which we received several years ago from the, the National Danish Sisterhood Organization. That includes over 300 handwritten ledger books where different lodges of the Danish Sisterhood all over the country would keep all of their notes, all of their minutes, all of their activities. And so it is the history, the handwritten history of each lodge across the country. Some of those are written in Danish, and you can actually track at what point did a lodge start recording their own notes in English. And some of them are in rural communities, some of them are in urban communities. So that collection of of handwritten ledgers from the Sisterhood Lodges is a really unique archive. And we are seeking funding to, to digitize every page of each of those ledgers so that they can be searched and researched and used and referenced and be part of our existing online digital library of newspapers. We already have a digitized collection of Danish-American newspapers available through our website. And so that platform is already established and we would like to continue to grow it with more collections. That's too bad the National Danish Sisterhood shut down or had to close. It didn't. Oh, it didn't. They still, they're still going. The Sisterhood continues to thrive, actually, with about 40 lodges nationwide. It's just that there used to be more lodges. Not every lodge. Some have merged. Some just folded because there just weren't enough people to keep them going. And so we basically have the ledgers of many of the lodges that have closed and some ledgers of lodges that still exist, but they didn't want to keep that paper archive in someone's garage. Yeah. <laughs> and so they they donated it to the museum. Oh, that's very cool. Very cool. I wish them much luck. Mm-hmm. Now, all of this that you have going on, including the traveling exhibits and so on, must take volunteers. What kinds of volunteer opportunities does the museum have for members and the public? Sure. We have several dedicated volunteers that are, especially in our genealogy and education department, people who have really helped build and craft a lot of those research resources over the years and who can then help guide visitors who are looking for a particular family or a particular um, community, you know, guide them through through our research library. We also have volunteers who have helped greet visitors at the front desk. We've had volunteers who have helped at some of those outreach festivals, help join staff in you know, being at the Museum of Danish America booth and answering questions. And importantly, our board of directors are volunteers from across the country, and their role and their engagement is really critical in the success of what we do. That's very cool. How does a museum interface with other national, state, county, and regional societies? We try to stay in touch with all of the above, which can also be a challenge, you know, again, as a As a national museum, we are also local, we are also regional, we all are also statewide. Many of our staff team are active members of different organizations, whether professional museum organizations like the Iowa Museum Association or different preservation and conservation networks. We have a lot of relationships with our peer museums across the country, other kind of community-based Danish organizations, our Nordic museum peers in cities across the country. 
we operate on, on a lot of different levels simultaneously, which both provides us a lot of contacts and networks to, to lean on in, at different times, but it's also making sure that we stay engaged in all of those, everything from the Danish embassy in Washington to our, our county tourism board and, and everything in between. Yeah, very cool. That's a lot of work. So what kinds of interesting books has your museum published? We've published a, a few books usually related to our, our larger exhibitions. For example, the traveling exhibition that we had about the, the history of beer and aquavit in Scandinavia, that's called Skoll, Scandinavian Spirits. And we published a catalog to accompany that traveling exhibition. The catalog itself is half articles and half recipes. Not all recipes for beer or aquavit, but also recipes for the food that you might wish to consume with beer or aquavit. It was a really fun kind of cultural history exploration of a part of Scandinavian culture that is fairly identical between Denmark, Sweden, and Norway. There is not a lot of difference in how those three nations have kind of evolved with beer traditions and drinking traditions. So that was one of our publications. We had a catalog and still it's still available. All of these are still available with our Danish Modern Design exhibition. And we also have been the American printer and distributor of a catalog about the artist Bjorn Vindlad, who was widely known in Denmark as a ceramic and graphic design artist. And we were able to have permission to reprint the, the Danish catalog in America. Oh, very cool. Wow. I haven't heard of that artist, but I'll look him up. Look him up. Yep. yep. Lots of smiling people. Sorry to interrupt, but it's time for us to take a break for a few minutes. All right, listeners, we'll be right back. Remember that feeling of wonder when you learn something fascinating about the past for the very first time? The Museum of Danish America in Elkhorn, Iowa, portrays the contributions and hard work of the Danish experience in America. Their goal is to explore the national Danish-American experience, the historic and modern influences of Denmark on the United States, and the continuing story of how a nation of immigrants is shaping the American identity. Celebrate the rich history and culture of the Danish in America. Be a part of the action by volunteering and supporting the Museum of Danish America. Visit danishmuseum.org and learn more about this valuable nonprofit organization. Plan a visit, donate, and become a member today. This is Kirk Dillon, a friend of Sean Radcliffe's. Preservation Oaks brings you unbeatable information about museums, cultural, heritage, historical, and genealogical societies across the United States. It is a most enjoyable program that enables the public to look under the covers, as it were, and to feel completely comfortable with their decision to donate, join, volunteer with and support their organization of choice. 
I strongly encourage you all to give three cheers to the unsung heroes that are our nation's preservation oaks, for the hard work they do at your local society. It's very important work that really must be done properly, with everyone in the community helping as much as possible. Please follow, like, and listen to each episode of Preservation Oaks, but much more importantly, do please join, donate, and volunteer at one or more of your local societies. Thank you very much. There are many things in the history of this country that you have never seen nor heard. Introducing Preservation Oaks, with new unique episodes featuring professional guests from across the country, telling unique true tales of the past that only they know. This podcast will bring you incredible knowledge and an appreciation of every area of our country. You'll hear history with a clarity and vividness that until now were only in your fantasies. The Preservation Oaks podcast. It will alter your view of the world. Listen at preservationoaks.podbean.com. This is Will Hawkins, Executive Director of Historic Tuscaloosa in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I had a lot of fun as a guest on Preservation Oaks. This is Tom Spindler from the Norman Borlaug Heritage Foundation, and I love listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. This is Laura Weber, Executive Director of the Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park, and you're listening to Preservation Oaks. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. We're here today with Ms. Tova Brandt from the Museum of Danish America in Elkhorn, Iowa. Tova, your museum is really, really doing so much on behalf of Danish America. I want to thank you for hanging out with us and sharing the information you provided to our audience about your museum. Thank you. Glad to be back. I want to ask about your website. I want to tell listeners, this website, I don't know who designed it or how that all happened, but it is absolutely functional and beautiful. So what kind of things are available to do on your website? So many things. <laughs> Some, sometimes we think maybe we put too much on the website because there are so many things you can do on the website that even we forget all of the bells and whistles. I think one of the, one of the best things about the website is, as you already mentioned, Sean, being a place where you can really explore the virtual tours, not only of the full museum, but of many of the previous temporary exhibitions that we've had. So you can really get a good sense of what is it that we are here? What is it that we do here? A lot of the engagement for online shopping, online research, online database surfing, online content, uh, video watching, online donations, online membership renewal, all of those functionalities are there. And also all of the connections with our current and upcoming events. You know, what is our calendar of event? The website is where you can sign up to receive our our e-newsletter, which is free, no membership required. Anyone can sign up to receive the e-newsletter monthly. 
And and as I said, that's a really great way to keep up with what's new, what's coming soon with our museum. Yeah, very cool. It's a great website. I mean, there's tons of sections and links. You could spend easily two days going through that website. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I want to give the contact information of the museum one more time, as long as we're talking about the website. So you can visit the Museum of Danish America's website at danishmuseum.org. They're also on Facebook as Museum of Danish America. YouTube, they're at Danish Museum. And their mailing address is 2212 Washington Street, Elkhorn, Iowa, 51531. You can email them at info at danishmuseum.org or you can call at 712-764-7001. And I hope you do all of those things. So do I. Yeah. You have current initiatives of digitization of the National Danish Sisterhood archives and expanding the museum artifact display space. What other current initiatives or needs of the museum do you want the people who are listening or the people of your area to know about and support? The message that we are continually reminding of everyone is that, you know, every year we have to find the money that we need every year to keep going. <laughs> and so, you know, the the special projects are sometimes the easiest to describe and and sometimes the special projects will attract, you know, funding that we might not get otherwise. But equally important is just the the regular annual support through memberships and contributions that do what some people might think is kind of the more boring stuff, paying the light bill, you know? So I think the just the constant reminder that we don't automatically get funding from anybody, that it all has to be raised every year. And to keep up with the programs that, that we provide and the outreach that goes into, in so many different directions, that is going to be a need every time. And it's for a very, very special place, a gem, not only in the community, but in our nation as a whole. So I hope everybody will join and will donate to the museum and, and help it maintain its success because they're doing great work. Tova, what are your thoughts about how best to keep history and community support flourishing for the current generation, the K through 12 kids? I think the the most important first step is to make sure that we associate or that this, you know, the current current generation of of kids and students that they associate museums with fun, interesting, engaging. That that museum doesn't become a a derogatory term. <laughs> like, oh, it's a museum. No, it's a museum. They do cool stuff there. Yeah. And so I think it's so important that when we have school groups, when we have visiting families, that we have opportunities for, for kids to see something that they recognize, see something that interests them. I don't want to turn our museum into a children's museum where everything has to have the same level of kind of bells and whistles and same style of presentation. But it doesn't hurt that Legos are from Denmark 
And so we have a Lego play area Uh, (laughs) and, and we, we are just fine with, you know, with families coming and discovering that we have a Lego play area. And if, if the kids don't get much farther than that, you know, that's okay. I think it's really important to build those positive associations and whether that's because, you know, the kids get to taste Kringla on their school trip and it's sweet and yummy, whether it's because they get to walk through the prairie park and, you know, be outside and use outdoor voices and that's okay. They're still immersed in a prairie landscape environment and having that experience of what what a landscape looks like that's not agriculture and not lawn. Mm. You know, and when they're in the museum and uh, building itself, as you mentioned, Sean, just the architecture of the space is so definitely not a school. It's not a home. It's right. not a, a business or kind of an office space. Just having those those moments of awe of new, of fun, I think that's the most important starting point that we can give to young kids and give them that experience to build upon. Yep, thank you for that, Tova. Hey, why is your museum important to the community and what makes your organization different or unique from others? Well, if I take the second part of that question first, one thing that makes our organization different is that we define community in a lot of different ways. We we think of um, almost concentric circles of communities that we serve. So we have our local community, about the three three county area around us. It's all rural and small towns. In the entire 40 mile radius around the museum, there's about 40,000 people living there. And as I said, our town of Elkhorn is about 650 people. So so this is a very rural, local community. If we expand that next regional ring of about 100 miles away or closer, that includes the cities of Des Moines and Omaha. And so, you know, who? what is the community there that, that might uh, make a day trip to Elkhorn and the museum or come for a special event, but not come super often. And then we have our national community, you know, the people who are members, who are part of other Danish American networks, who are connected in somehow to the work that we do, the stories that we share. And so our challenge and what makes us a little unique is that we have to calibrate kind of our activities and our program to meet one or more of those communities in different ways. And the role that we play in those communities is is a little different depending on which ones we're talking about. Yeah, I really like that model that you have where it's concentric circles because you do have different roles being a national organization. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is there any other information or message you'd like the community or members to know about? Well, I think that the more that all of our communities appreciate kind of how these concentric circles impact our decision making, I think we'll just better inform our audience of why we do what we do and and how we how we set different priorities. And that the feedback that we get from from audience members, from museum members can really help us 
make sure that we're we're actually meeting those goals and truly serving those those different rings of community as effectively as we can. Very good. Thank you. Okay. Reflecting just a bit, how do you think your members, volunteers, and your concentric rings of the communities you serve view you and your museum in terms of benefit and value? You know, every few years, we actually ask this question directly to our members and our audience. And that's really important for us to do because our audience is so diverse and interacts with us in so many ways. And so every few years, we do a survey online. And what's wonderful is that a lot of people respond to it. We don't have to bribe anybody. We, we get a really, a really generous response from our members and, and audience members. And so we ask them, you know, what do they value about what we do? What do they value about our membership? And the first time we did a survey like this, it was probably about 10 years ago, it was our first concerted effort to really understand how our members value their membership and what benefits do they value most. And so we'd listed the questions and we gave all the answers. We listed all the all the benefits of membership, the free admission, the store discount. And, and at the end, we decided, oh, let's let's add something about, you know, preserving Danish heritage. Well, it turns out that 90% of our members ranked that intangible benefit, intangible benefit of preserving Danish heritage as the most important reason they were a member of our museum. Cool. And for us, that was such a wake up <laughs> of the larger value and the larger importance of what we do to the people who, who don't even see it every day. But just the fact that we were created and established to be the National Museum of this Danish immigration and Danish American story that no one else is doing. No one else is focusing on this part of the American experience. And that enough people around the country value that fact that we are doing what we're doing, that they support us from wherever they are. And we continue to ask that question every time we send out a survey, and we continue to get that strong reply that more than anything, it is our mission that inspires people to support us. And they like the magazine, they like the store discounts, you know, they like all these other things. But when they're really asked to rank what is most important, it is the, the sheer fact of our mission that motivates the people who support us. And, and that's, a, that's an important thing for us to keep in mind because that motivates us too. I like that mission very much. I think you're doing a fantastic job there. I want to thank you, Tova, for spending time with us today. And I've learned a lot that I never knew before. And I've had a great time. And it's been a pleasure to meet you and talk with you. It's truly been inspiring how much you and your museum do to help interpret the history and role of Danish America to the nation. And by the way, happy 40th anniversary to the Museum of Danish America. Thanks so much, Sean. It's been a pleasure talking with you and sharing these stories, and I hope all the listeners enjoy it as well. Thank you. And with that, we'll end our time with our guest, Tova Brandt, the Executive Director of the Museum of Danish America. Listeners, please stay tuned for my comments and wrap-up, which is coming up next.
Welcome back. It was such an honor and a pleasure to chat with Tova Brandt and learn about the Museum of Danish America. She is well qualified, skilled, and experienced, caring about the preservation of Danish heritage in America, gracefully intelligent and professional. I really enjoyed meeting with Tova Brandt and learning about this great institution. Let me tell you, Danish American people, as I've learned, have made many contributions to this country's success and are still doing so. We have notable Danish Americans like Jessica Alba, Scarlett Johansson, Vigo Mortensen, Keith and Robert Carradine, Jamie Lee and Kelly Curtis, Florence Henderson, Janet Lee, Bridget Nielsen, the Olsen twins, Mary Kate and Ashley, Uma Thurman, Betty White, Elijah Wood, Gutsen Borglin, the sculptor of Mount Rushmore, Chris Birdman Anderson, Earl W. Bascom, Victor Borgia, of course, Lars Ulrich, the Metallica drummer, Newt Gingrich, Steny Hoyer, Janet Reno, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, and many other artists, athletes, journalists, musicians, politicians, religious leaders, scientists, and writers. I'm not sure how they know this, but according to Wikipedia, there's approximately 1.3 million Americans of Danish origin or descent. According to the United States Census of 2000, the states with the largest populations of Danish Americans are California, Utah, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Washington, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, and Nebraska. And I'm sure there are several others because there are Danish folks who settled in cities all across the United States. Now, the most pressing priority of the Museum of Danish America is to expand memberships and grow their endowment. So please, become a member today, and if you want to help them far into the future, then contribute to their endowment fund. The other initiatives the Museum of Danish America has underway in 2023 are digitization of the journals from the National Danish Sisterhood, reorganizing and expanding the visual storage area, maintenance of the natural areas on the 35-acre museum site, several ambitious outreach events, and the growth and incorporation of their new youth and community educator. Your contributions and support will help them this year to celebrate their 40th anniversary of the museum across the country, to support the traveling exhibits. Oh, and by the way, if you're listening today and you're from a library or a school or a cultural organization or planning a festival and you'd like to participate in one of the traveling exhibits, then please connect with the museum to coordinate doing that. Your contributions and support will help the museum to emerge from the restrictions from the pandemic, support their travels across the country so they can reconnect with their members, and finally, it's very cool that the museum, in collaboration with the Danish American Heritage Association, is hosting the first ever conference at the museum. I hope this is a spectacular success, both for the museum and the town of Elkhorn. The museum's largest funding source is memberships and contributions. 
So please, whether you're of Danish heritage or not, but you'd like to support the work of this excellent organization, please connect with and contribute from their website at danishmuseum.org. If you have questions or would like to chat with someone, you can send a letter to 2212 Washington Street, Elkhorn, Iowa, 51531. If you'd like to email, the address is info at danishmuseum.org. And if you'd prefer to call, the number is 712-764-7001. If you have Danish ancestors and you'd like some help with your genealogy, you can get that help from the museum's Genealogy Research and Education Center. The best way to know where the museum staff is going to be in terms of festivals and other events across the country is to subscribe to their e-newsletter on their website. You don't need to be a member to subscribe to that, and you'll receive a monthly e-newsletter. Oh, I almost forgot. If you want to support the museum and you'd like to purchase an engraved brick, which will be displayed on the front walkways, please connect with the museum. There's two flavors, a $250 brick and a $500 version. If there's listeners in Vermont or Louisiana who would like to support the museum, please connect with them. They would love to get more members from those states. All right, now you know that your membership and support is going to a great cause by supporting the Museum of Danish America. And there's also some really nice benefits. The Museum of Danish America operates nationwide and on a lot of different levels simultaneously in order to preserve Danish American heritage. They create exhibits, education, and perform outreach events in order to preserve the heritage of Danish people who arrived in the U.S., evolved throughout time, and influenced American society in positive ways. Without any hesitation, I can say that the Museum of Danish America is truly one of our nation's preservation oaks. If questions occur to you and you'd like more information, please connect with the museum via the contact information provided. If you're a listener anywhere across the world who's interested in Danish-American legacy and you're not already a member, please consider joining and supporting the museum. I really hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the Museum of Danish America is to our nation and what kinds of excellent experiences and benefits they have to offer to their members and the public. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Scott Holmes, Cymbalbird, Orchestralis, Crypt of Insomnia, Manrica de Lara, and Music to Noise. MicroStream Radio is a registered trademark. You can visit us at www.microstreamradio.com. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by MicroStream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of MicroStream Radio. Thanks to everybody for listening. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. We'll see you all next time on Preservation Oaks. And until then, keep on giving and keep on living the good life.